This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. Jeremy here and guys, I'm very excited for the conversation we're going to have today. We have Dr. Paul O'Malley with us and he's a 30-year master of biomechanic dentistry and he's on the cutting edge of rebuilding teeth to the specifications of mother nature. Dr. O'Malley, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, sir. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. So I'm curious to find out, you know, you're doing things a lot different than a lot of other dentists. Was there something that made you decide to do that? Was there a moment like for you, why are you looking at dentistry a little bit different? I think after you do dentistry for a number of years, you start seeing things that don't work out quite the way you wanted or the longevity of things. Right. And so I started looking at it from the viewpoint of how can I get more predictable results, do less drilling on teeth and still get this beautiful long-term effect. So I, mm. I started studying things from a holistic viewpoint. So basically, how do I rebuild the teeth in a certain way that and use materials that are safe for the body, you know, so that's part mm-hmm. of the holistic aspect. And if there's mercury and heavy metal materials in the mouth, taking those out safely, so they don't all get breathed in by the patient or myself or my staff. Mm-hmm. So I started looking at that, that was one step. And then the other step was looking at the teeth from a dental engineering standpoint. So you take the tooth apart and it's composed of different layers, all from a cellular makeup that's all integrated, but it's kind of a cool complex, not really complex arrangement, but it's just a cool arrangement that mother nature made. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking at from that viewpoint of how can I then rebuild the teeth as close to mother nature as possible. And in doing so, we found out there's a lot of science on it. In fact, there's a group of us now that's been supporting this whole concept for about the last 20 years, and it's called biomimetic dentistry. So mm-hmm. biomimetic just means bio means life, and mimetic means copying. So now rather than sticking an old filling in a tooth, you know, like one piece, you put the white thing in and put the blue light on it, and you say, okay, Bob, you're done. See you later. And then the thing might fall out three years later or whatever, because that's when insurance pays for it again. Now what we're doing is building the teeth in layers. It's sort of like brick by brick, piece by piece, so that it's stronger, less stress on the tooth, and it it mimics mother nature. So we're more like dental engineers and sculptors at the same time, which is really cool. There's a documentary I saw, gosh, about six months ago. I think it's called Root Cause. I don't know if you've seen this about root canals. Yes. So it's interesting to me because you mentioned like, you know, doing things a lot more naturally, doing things the way they're done. Like, I think a lot of times we don't consider what's being done to our teeth by like, you know, what's taking in or how things are being done. I guess, why don't people have the viewpoint you have? It's hard to speak on behalf of the other people that haven't reached out and sort of changed their viewpoint or practice modality. But I think a lot of the dentists get caught in the status quo of things and they just, mm-hmm. you know, continue doing what they're doing. And 
some of them don't see it as a problem. Okay, well, if a tooth breaks, they fix the tooth, it breaks. Okay, well, just take it out and put a dental implant in. They might look at it from that viewpoint. Nothing wrong with them. But, you know, it's sort of like a learning curve, right? So in doctors and professionals, they sort of stop at a certain point. And, they, you know, they sort of burn out, to be honest with you. So to prevent burnout and create joy in the practice of dentistry, in my case, I kept educating and learning, how can I do it better, 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 better? Mm-hmm. And I think other dentists just get comfortable with what they're doing. I don't know, but you know, I'd have to survey and interview a bunch sure. of them to find out for sure. But in my case, I just wanted to keep doing things better. No, and I can appreciate that because like the status quo sometimes like and just kind of sticking with that isn't always what's best for patients, right? But understanding like what's happening, understanding new technology and things like that, like it's definitely important to be on top of that. So I guess I'm curious, Dr. Morali, when we're looking at the idea of like minimally invasive dentistry, I haven't heard that term before. So I'm curious, like what is that and what is important for us to understand about that? Well, minimally invasive dentistry is basically... How do you fix a tooth? How do you fix someone's mouth, et cetera, with less grinding of the teeth? Because typically we're grinding the teeth. And now if you learn minimally invasive and biomimetic principles, it's an over-preparation of the tooth because people live longer. Years ago, I was looking at, you know, you see people get hip implants and things like that. So they're getting body implants in the body, right? And so the physicians then were looking at, okay, well, wait till someone's like 75 or 80, let them limp around with a bad hip, and then we'll replace it because when the thing fails in seven or eight years, they may have passed away. That was kind of the thinking, right? So in dentistry, we've been That's a horrible viewpoint. (laughs) Isn't it terrible? But that's how far it went. But what happened is a lot of people in their 40s and 50s hurt their hips. Bo Jackson, famous baseball football player, he messed up his, he had to get it replaced. That was 25, 30 years ago. Now the technology's gotten better. So they're trying to make it so that it can last 25, 30 years. So the same way in dentistry, we've we've been doing crowns, which essentially grinds away 70% of the tooth for over 100 years. And it's sort of a last ditch effort. Like the tooth is cracking, breaking down. So the dentist will go, well, let's put a crown on it. But then they, it's so aggressive, a person at about 30% of the time ends up needing a root canal over 10 years. So if you're trying to stop the death spiral of a tooth, you want to do things minimally invasively. So that would mean you go in and you chase the crack down. You mend and heal the crack with bonding and composite and layers. Maybe you only put some porcelain on the top surface of the tooth. So you're not grinding the whole side down. It takes a lot more time, care, and skill but ultimately you're protecting the patient's health because mm-hmm. you're not ending up exposing nerves or inflaming teeth where then they'd have to go get a root canal, which becomes the great gray area. Is that going to make you sick, not make you sick? There's a lot of controversy in the area. So why yeah. get into that in the first place? Just do it minimally invasively and seal the tooth so that the nerve is protected inside the tooth. That's really interesting because that's almost a similar viewpoint to what you hear in like functional medicine or something like that. Like finding out what's actually happening, handling that rather than handling the 50 things it causes, right? Right. Then actually like handling that one thing. So I guess when we're looking at like cosmetic dentistry, which I think people think of that as like, you know, things just looking nice. But I think for a lot of people, it's actually important to have, you know, a functional smile and things like that. What are the important steps for like a dentist to understand and that a patient should actually know about it too? 
Well, the important steps are you have to diagnose what's going on. So if it's just purely cosmetic, someone comes in and they might want larger teeth, smaller teeth, straighter teeth, things like that. And orthodontic wise, maybe they're not a candidate. So then we look at, all right, how do we do that? So then ideally you would take photography, communicate with the patient, find out what they needed and wanted. And then you can start laying out a plan. Do they want something a little larger, something to support for women? They want to support their lips a little bit more. Do they want to have very white teeth? Do they want to have natural looking teeth? There's a lot of parameters there because it falls within the opinion of the individual, right? So Mm -hmm. I have my viewpoint. I've done over 11,000 veneers, for example. So I've done a lot. And generally, by the time I say something looks really good, I'll give the mirror to the patient and let them look. And then it's 99%. They're going to be wowed and very happy. But nowadays, we're giving more feedback to the patient before and after pictures of where we can go, what do they want, etc. So dentists doing cosmetic dentistry, they should learn about function first. So they have to make mm-hmm. sure the bite is going to be correct, the jaw joint is correct and not in trouble. And then how do they rebuild things? They need to know how much tooth should show when a person's relaxed and how much it should show when they're smiling. There's slight variables to that and then it should blend in with their face color, with their eyes, with the skin color, etc. So there's quite a few, you know, it's like a checklist of items there, right? And the You're patient- always communicating it like an artist though. You know, that's the interesting thing about it is you have to consider all these different things. And I didn't think of that, like, you know, how much should yeah. show now, like how much should show in... Otherwise, you could look like you have chiclets in your mouth or something like that. Like, there, well, there's so right. much you have to think about. I mean, and sometimes you see people, buddy, audience out there, et cetera, they've seen people that smile and from a distance, like, wow, their teeth are really white and beautiful. But then you walk up close and they do look like chiclets. They're too <laughs> opaque. They're too white. Yeah. They're too fake. So a natural tooth blends colors. It goes from whiter at the edge to a little bit of calming colors. It goes into the gum area. So it is an art, but you have specific scientific and technical things you want to satisfy as well. And function should be in place first because form should follow function in this case. Mm -hmm. And if that's done, then you get longevity with veneers or with a full mouth reconstruction. And it's a lot of fun because, you know, you get to see these people coming in and they're a lot of times they won't smile. You take a picture and it's like, no, I need you to smile. And their lip is like paralyzed because they've, taught themselves over the years so they they smell like that right like they won't or they'll grow a big thick mustache to cover the guys will right i'm the women just because this smile. was me a couple of years ago so early in life i had really like rough teeth because i didn't have braces as a kid so i got like the invisalign as an adult which was a really big deal because i'm like wow yeah. i actually like to smile now it's right. true like you're saying you find these different kind of substitutes to not do that that's right yeah that's right so But when you finally help someone get through that, I mean, you know, you're bolstering their self-confidence. Actually, their attention comes off of their teeth and Mm -hmm. it extroverts outward because they feel so confident. And all they need is a few compliments on their new smile and everything. You know, we try to make it really, really natural. But some people want a Hollywood smile. We can do that, too. You know, it just depends what the person wants. But the function's number one. So the, the way the bite comes together, the way the teeth function together. That has to be done. Number two, I would say to patients and dentists, uh, try to do it with as least prepping of the teeth as you can. So we can take maybe two-tenths to three-tenths of a millimeter, which is just a little bit more than the thickness of a fingernail, of tooth structure away, 
and then be able to lay a veneer on the tooth mm. versus another maybe heavy-handed or different school dentist might really whittle that tooth down. There's no nest, there's no need to have to do that because in 10, 15, 20 years, if one of the veneers has to be replaced or it breaks, etc., we want a whole strong intact tooth below that. We don't want to take something off and there's a little peg there and the nerve is almost exposed. Those are things that can be prevented. And I think more and more dentists are trying to do minimally invasive, but it's not the majority, sadly. Yeah. That's interesting, though, because it's, first of all, I had no idea that's how veneers worked. So I guess when we're, you mentioned that you've done 11,000 of them. I'm curious, you know, what kind of things that you've learned that are different now than, you know, kind of versus the beginning of that process going through 11,000 of them. Well, when we first started, it was aggressive prepping of the teeth. And that was basically to make the job easier for the lab technician. And then I kept looking, there's got to be a better way. And so then we went to minimal prepping. And then it went back to aggressive prepping. And I always faulted, like defaulted back to minimal prep. There's a way sometimes to build the teeth outward rather than, so you don't need to reduce much tooth structure to do that. Right. But you want to do it in a way that doesn't leave the edge. We call it the margin. The edge is up near the gum line. You don't want that to be bulky because if it's bulky, then the gum will recede and plaque will catch in those areas. And they look artificial. You want it to sort of melt into the tooth and just disappear and look like enamel. So the biggest lesson out there learned, and this would be for dentists too, you want to keep as much enamel when you prepare the tooth. Keep as for, This is for veneers. You want to keep as much enamel intact as you can. Because if you can bond to enamel as a surface, it holds the rigidity and strength of the tooth. That, that's a dental engineering tip 101 for, for veneers. <laughs> I'm curious from your viewpoint, Dr. O'Malley, you know, you've been doing this for quite a while. And I think one of the big hesitations for a lot of people is they don't know, like, who is the right dentist for them. And I'm curious, you know, when you're talking to somebody out there, like, I guess, what questions or what education do you tell people they should be going through when they're looking, you know, who is the right dentist for me? Well, I would ask if they uh, can show before and after pictures mm -hmm. and actually show some of the prepared teeth, what they look like. And then you can look for yourself. Does it look like they overly ground those teeth down? Because you can ask them if they do minimally invasive and they might say, yes, I do. Because most of all veneers are less invasive than a crown is, for mm -hmm. example. But if you look at the pictures that they do and then you see the prepared teeth, you'll be able to tell for yourself. Even a patient can look in and go, wow, most of the tooth was kept intact. They weren't ground down to little, you know, like cat teeth or something like that, right? Yeah. Then how do their before and after pictures look? And when they're showing the before and after pictures, are they retracting the whole gum so you can see all the way up there? So you can see how the gums look. Is there gum health? Do they look pink and healthy? Are there gaps and spaces left in there? So, you know, you can be a good savvy investigator if, if you're wanting to check those things out. And then the other is, what's their level of experience and expertise? How many have they done? Um, have they been in practice for a while? You know, we can go off of reviews and things like that too. But those are the best things is just to look go ahead and look at their photography and ask if they can show you how they prepare the tooth for a veneer. And then you'll get a feel for if they're doing it minimally invasively. And always, always, I would say 99% of the time you want minimally invasive. The only time that we can't do really minimally invasive is a person has really crooked teeth 
They want them straightened and they refuse orthodontics or Invisalign. Then we have to reduce the teeth a little bit more. And then, you know, but that's like you share that with the patient. You say, are you sure you want to do that? I have to reduce your teeth more to do that. And some will say, yes, I don't care. It's fine. Others are like, oh, I didn't know that. Maybe let's do braces first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is when you mentioned that, like where somebody has like a kind of a drastic tooth change. I don't know if you watch baseball, do you? Yeah. Okay. I'm a huge New York Yankees fan. About two years ago in the off season, Aaron Judge came back from suddenly having a gap in his teeth to having none. Like I'm guessing somebody like that, they've had something pretty drastic because he obviously didn't wear braces. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's hard to tell. I'd have to see him first, but yeah. he might've just had a couple of veneers placed there to close the gap, or he just had some bonding to close the gap, perhaps. I'll have to send it to you after the conversation. Because I was like kind of surprised. I'm like, wow, the guy went from like having a pretty sizable gap in his teeth to like now they look perfect. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, send that to me. That would be interesting to look at. So I guess when we're looking kind of at the future of dentistry, Dr. O'Malley, like what things are you paying the most attention to? And I guess what things are you most excited about, like with the future of dentistry? Well, I think... Biomimetic dentistry is starting to make inroads. More and more people are learning it. It's a parallel with holistic dentistry. So 25 years ago, I started doing mercury-free, mercury-removal safely dentistry, holistic dentistry. And when you break away from the norm, you you can get attacked. I don't mean physically attacked, but verbally attacked. Sometimes even the state boards can give you a hard time, et cetera. Oh, that's quackery. That's witchcraft. You know, you don't need to do that. But now more and more people are starting to remove mercury more safely because they see there's a lot of science behind it, right? Mm-hmm. So with the future of dentistry, biomimetic dentistry, minimally invasive dentistry, I think is going to be happening. And also digital dentistry. So there's a lot of scanning that can be done. Things can be pre-planned in the office. We can see them digitally. It's fast. And, you know, we can actually make crowns in a machine that forms them communicated digitally. Wow. So is that kind of like the 3D printing they're doing for a lot of like the Invisalign and stuff now? That's right. So there's 3D printing for crowns. They even say they can do it with veneers. I've seen one or two cases that looked okay. It's not as pretty as someone making them by hand and building them sure. in the lab. And they're not quite as strong yet as what you get with a lab processed restoration. But It looks like that's going to be some of the future. The other part of the future is going to be preventative care, getting gum disease under control, things with probiotics and rebalancing the bacteria in the mouth. There's a lot of uh, things happening with that, different companies working with that. One of my side companies is called Great Oral Health, Inc. We have done a lot of research on probiotics and also uh, toothpaste that can remineralize the teeth. And so that's being received very well. So a lot of those things are happening. One other area that's happening, that's on the restorative side, digital dentistry. There's some research over in Europe happening where they can actually, if someone's going to lose a molar, for example, they can take a scan of the roots and the socket area, et cetera, and they can make an implant that'll fit right in there, custom made. Because right now the implants only have one root on them. Mm -hmm. So if you have a molar with two or three roots or whatever, you're just putting this one post down there and building a crown on top of it. It's not as structurally sound, let's say, as what Mother Nature created. So that's happening digitally. And then there's research happening with stem cell research 
regrowing teeth. We just don't know how to implant them yet with their own blood supply and which way they'll grow in. <laughs> so That's really interesting to me. Like I've had stem cells done on both shoulders and both knees, and I feel like I took like 15 years off of them. So I'm really interested to see what it does with teeth. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's great because there's a lot there. The problem with stem cells is it's hard to do research because it's coming from our own bodies. So it's not a medicine. Yeah. So big pharma's not jumping into it, you know? So it, it's well, yeah. just different. <laughs> because they so can't make a lifetime customer out of they it. They can't. That's right. <laughs> so they're looking at philanthropic endeavors that sort of pay, give them grants and they do some studies, but they're small, you know? Yeah. So now it's mostly anecdotal people saying like yourself, wow, you feel so much better, et cetera, you know? But the other thing with the future of dentistry is there's also research happening now to turn the enzyme pathways back on that'll turn enamel growth back on, for example. Mm. So let's say someone had a real lot of acidity in their mouth and some of their enamel eroded away. Then they can maybe wear a tray with a certain pace that would cause those enzymes to turn back on. The body would start regrowing enamel. So there's research with that. Once enamel can be regrown, then we can regrow the inside of the tooth, which is dentin. Once we do that, then we'll attempt to regrow a nerve. If we can regrow a nerve, the research will stop with teeth and it'll go to the nerves in the brain and the back and Alzheimer's patients and it'll be off to the races. But I think there'll be some good data coming in in the next 50 years with that. Yeah, for sure. I think we'll be able to regrow nerves again because they're working with different peptides. Peptides seem to turn back on the enzymes that turn off. You know, certain animals in the animal kingdom can regrow their nerves, regrow an appendage. Why such an advanced species as ourselves, we chop an arm off, a hand off, we can't. Yeah. So how would we regenerate that? And it's just that some of those pathways turn off and it probably has to do something with our longevity. You know, as a species, as an individual member of the species, right, we have a tendency to live 70, 80, 90, even 100 years, where most animals are living, you know, it's usually about seven times their maturity age. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what I know about the future there. And things are getting cleaner because of digital dentistry. We can now, if people lose their teeth, we can place dentures with implants in them that secures them in their mouth. So they don't have to go around with them slipping and sliding and no good function and increased risk of colon cancer because they're not chewing their food right. So there's a lot of advances. And the thing with dentistry is a lot of our discoveries we make in dentistry gets turned over and becomes something new in medicine. So, for example, we discovered how to use the radiation and x-rays back in 1800s, 1901, late 1800s, et cetera, from Dr. Renkin. And then we learned about implants. So that our implant technology and everything started being copied by the medical facilities to do on body parts, which is really cool anesthesia. We started anesthesia because dentistry can be very uncomfortable. So we learned how to use ether to put people to sleep and chlorophyll, chloroform was the other one that was used. So, you know, you put that over a person, they would pass out and stuff. And the way the dentist discovered that he started smelling different ingredients, kept smelling them, smelling and smelling. And then he smelled this one and he woke up, you know, 20 minutes later, said, okay, this is a keeper, but he had a massive headache which wasn't good, right? So it's like, yeah, it came with side effects. But these but are But it's cool interesting things. too, because you look at even like, you know, a lot of, we're realizing a lot of heart issues are even connected to issues with the mouth too. So it's like, there's so right. much to be handled with the mouth that affects so much of the body. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there is a definite connection 
between the bacteria in the mouth and then what they're finding the certain similar bacteria in the arterial system, post-mortem, autopsies, people in their hearts where there's blockage. So the plaque comes in, sort of cholesterol comes in to heal a damaged blood vessel mm-hmm. and it's a bit faulty. So it sends all of its soldiers in there and then lays a cholesterol lining over it to keep it from uh, being infected. But it starts then thickening. The blood flow doesn't go through the lumen of the artery. So then you get an occlusion, you get a heart attack, etc. So a lot of those things may be coming from the mouth. So we know that people that have gum disease are at much higher risk. It's multiples. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that men and women have their gums checked to make sure that that's really healthy because there is that heart connection and the whole cardiovascular connection. And also it seems to be linked to now maybe Alzheimer's. So oh, wow. I have keep, not heard that yet. Yes. So you want to keep everything really healthy. Alzheimer's and uh, the stomach bacteria and the mouth bacteria, they start things start going out of balance. So apparently when it goes out of balance, it can also trigger a higher risk of Alzheimer's. You know, And the biggest culprit, I believe, around Alzheimer's is mercury contamination. So anything that has mercury in it, people want to really keep an eye on not consume. So if they have a mouthful of mercury fillings, that would be the number one source of mercury contamination. Will it happen to them or not? We don't know. It's a roll of the dice. But as a caveat, don't run down to the dentist and get those mercury fillings removed unless they know how to do it safely and follow proper protocols. That means oxygen on you, rubber dam, which surrounds the tooth and special suction to capture the vapors as it's being, as the as the mercury is being removed from your mouth safely. And then if you could, you would find someone that would then rebuild the teeth minimally invasively. So you don't go from one frying pan to another one. Right? <laughs> exactly. So it's like, how do we take those out? And then how do we rebuild those teeth without cutting them all down? Because you don't want to do that either if you can avoid it. Absolutely. Well, Dr. O'Malley, I've really enjoyed this conversation. For people listening, if they want to connect with you and find out more about how you can help them, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, thanks, Jeremy. I enjoyed it very much. They can reach out to my website, just drpaulomalley.com. No period in there and no apostrophe after the O in O'Malley, just drpaulomalley.com. Uh, they can sign up for the free course that's on the front page there. It's just freeholisticdentistry.com, and it's a free educational course that anybody can watch. There's no strings attached at all. It's just with my philanthropic thing to do. We've had almost 20,000 people that have gone through the course. And then for oral care and oral care prevention, which is really the big game, they can go to greatoralhealth.com and learn about the various products that are there. And there's educational stuff there too. They can sign up for the free course there too and receive, I think there's about 20 lessons there. We made it fun. We even quiz them on the lessons to make sure that they're grasping the information. So there you go. Cool. Well, Dr. Paul O'Malley, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, sir. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremy.